Max Devs and Beer is recorded in front of a live studio audience and is an adult podcast containing adult language. Consider yourself warned. You're listening to the Gamecasting Broadcast Network. Live from Outreach Studios, you're listening to the Mex Devs and Beer Podcast, a No Guts, No Galaxy special featuring your hosts, Phil and Darren. Welcome to the No Guts, No Galaxy Mex Devs and Beer Podcast number 15. My name is Phil and I'm your host. It is April 17th, 2014, and I'm joined by Darren, a.k.a. Bombadil. Hey there. And today's guest, we have Paul Inoue. Inoue? Inoue? I... <laughs> I'm horrible. You did at not that. just do that. How's it going? And yes, it is Inoue. Inoue. And he is the lead designer for uh, Piranha Games, working on Micro Online for all of you guys that may not know. So, uh, yeah, this is a long time coming. We haven't had you on the uh, podcast in a while. We want to touch base with you. And uh, so let's go dive into a few things. First off, how are you, man? Uh, stressed and working like crazy, but at the same time, it's an exciting time because we're bringing out all these new features and it's coming together really well. Is it better to be stressed or better to be uh, twiddling your thumbs? I'm assuming stressed. Do you work well under pressure? Well, the thing is, is that I oversee a lot of a lot of the game development, including just monitoring what's coming down the pipeline, how it's going through the development channels, and um, that can be stressful in itself, but I'd rather be able to focus on that stuff rather than having to worry about like is this build gonna break is that build gonna break i just don't like being too much in the micro detail but that's where i am right now but at the same time hey it's part of the job i was gonna say so you're trying not to worry about some stuff that's probably what out of your control and you don't want to stress about it yeah i can exactly like i'm you've seen the circus act where they're spinning plates on sticks and i have my three sticks in front of me that i'm supposed to be watching but i can see the plates wobbling on the other sticks right so gets a little bit discerning sorry all right so we're going to dive into some topics of discussion throughout probably the past year or so that uh, have been sort of controversial and uh you know your name has definitely been put out there and i guess you're the lightning rod when it comes to certain topics and you know um so let's go dive in first off um can you just give us a quick brief you know what's your day-to-day activities for paul uh, kind of like what I just mentioned, I have passive roles and I have active roles. My passive roles are things like monitoring what's going on in each of the development um, disciplines. So I'm looking at what's going on with the engineers. I'm looking at what's going on with the artists, um, even the design team itself. It's like what's coming down the pipe, what plans are being made for the new upcoming features. Then I have my active roles where I'm constantly pushing ahead with future features. So I'm looking at things like community warfare, the clan invasion, uh, the clan technology, how to balance all those weapons and the mechs, etc. Community warfare is the big, big thing on my plate right now. Um, it's a huge, huge undertaking. So I'm just trying to make sure that we have buy-in from all of the stakeholders, including engineering, including art, including uh, Russ and Brian, right? And that's pretty much what my day-to-day is right now. I think there's been somewhat, uh, maybe there's some misconceptions out there. There's some gray area as far as uh, what you do have your hand in, what you don't have. Your, wait, was that a, a breaking uh, plate I just heard in the background? Did I just hear a crash? But anyway, um, <laughs> let's clear some of those up. Uh, like, for example, what you are responsible for, what you're not responsible for. Did you have a hand in third-person view? Well, here's the thing. Uh, my day-to-day responsibilities are things like gameplay, it is monitoring what's going on in the player base. And 
things like third-person view when they were first brought up um, is a big concern to me. Um, I was one of those staunch people against third-person view, right to the point where somebody else had to design it because I was not about to do it. And it came to a point where it was pressure from some outside sources, it was pressure from inside sources, there was tension between like all the creative teams here within the studio itself. But at the same time, it came down to a final call being made based on the fact that just external business partners and an investigation that was headed by Matt Newman um, into the plausibility of putting third person in without it becoming too much of a technical or a tactical advantage. Now, at that point, I knew third person views going in, whether or not I liked it or not. Right, I was up against it right until the day it went into the build. But at the same time, I knew that if I just ignored it and let it go, it had a potential of having a lot of features in it that would make it like severely overpowered, severely like a severe tactical advantage. So I had a choice to either ignore it or to work with that team and make sure that it gets limited to a point where first person is always the tactical choice to shoot, uh, to play in. And I made the choice of working with that team. So I went in and helped them realize things like spinning the camera around freely is going to create a huge tactical advantage. Um, being able to look behind you, being able to look to the side of you, being able to walk up to a building and rotate the camera out just so you can peek around a corner. That kind of stuff is the stuff I was following up with and make sure that would just never get into the game. So basically, third person was not on my list, right? But I just had to work with them to make sure it played out properly. Uh, other things that I do is just basically anything related to the gameplay experience, right? Uh, that starts at the front end. So yes, UI 2.0 is some of the stuff I was focusing on um, and basically anything within the game space itself. So that's basically the areas that I focus on. There's a lot of management stuff that I have to deal with too. So that's a lot higher up and it's into uh, areas where I'm not directly responsible for, but I do provide input. But gameplay and game experience is basically where I sit, put my hat. I was going to say, when third person, obviously it was a huge, huge community, you know, uh, I would say a blow up discussion, uh, heated, but you know, and it was a valid concern. Um, I was very, For the very reasons open. that you just yes. listed. MechWarrior 4, I remember the reasons and, and you know, um, basically abuse that happened. And I can understand where a lot of people now I'm assuming and, and we've talked about this way back when, too. There was a huge push from um, other demographics. I remember a lot of, uh, you know, people in other countries wanted, you know, uh, they liked the third person view. That's what they do. So I'm assuming by some of the outside sources, that's that's sort of what you're referring to. And I, I don't blame you guys for. Yeah, uh, like I'm not putting a finger at publishers or anything like that. Like IGP, they were kind of neutral in the whole situation. Uh, they brought it up to the brought it up to us that the external um, territory developers wanted third person as well right so it became kind of a contentious point between whether or not we should just go with it or not go with it the external territories put a lot of pressure on so that was basically being fed from external to igp to pgi then even internally like i said there was some debate whether or not it was really worth putting in okay so i think that clears up third person view i mean up till the its implementation you were against it once you realized it was going in you uh just did what you could to help it and make it uh as good as it can be and not a tactical advantage uh, a couple other things that you i think 
from time to time get thrown under the bus for, uh, you know, for example, the in-game economy, um, the, the the overall marketing of the game or whatever. Can you touch on those topics and, and maybe throw somebody else under the bus or just uh, clear your name maybe? <laughs> uh, okay, I'll throw Brian and Russ under the bus. No. Uh, actually, the thing about the economy is that the very first iteration that people saw, and that was the whole thing with um, repair and rearm, that was something I had my hands firmly in. Um, that was the very first implementation of the economy into the game. Um, I oversaw most of that. So the whole thing about um, repairing your arm, sometimes making people go broke, yeah, unfortunately that was my fault. I fully take the brunt of that. But um, the next set of balance changes that were made and even the nerf, the C-bill grind whole rebalancing uh, that was not me but at the same time I was allowed to give opinions as to how it should be because I was thinking at the time that it's a little bit hard on new players but at the same time I understand that this is a business and that business needs to have a grind like there has to be a grind in a free-to-play title otherwise your business model just does not work um, my only concern was how much of a grind it was but I voiced my opinions and they were taking into consideration I wasn't ignored, but at the same time, it was not my call as to how far any of these changes were to be made. So as of second and third iteration of the economy, that was not me. Uh, when it comes to marketing, I can put forth suggestions and ideas. Um, I don't really do that directly. I do that through uh, Matt Newman, our producer, who's our liaison with marketing. Uh, marketing is not here in Vancouver. It's actually in IGP's hands. So I basically put my ideas through Matt and then Matt just shares that with the marketing team. When it comes to things like the clan invasion, for example, I was just, I was, I was let to know about it fairly late, but at the same time is that I didn't really have any input there. Um, but when it did go out, it was kind of a shock to me, but at the same time, it was something that was needed at the time. So I just let it roll. As for any future marketing or how mechs are released or even sales or even packages or purchase incentives, uh, I don't really deal with that because I let the people who actually pay the bills deal with that monetary kind of stuff. So I leave that in their ballpark. Somebody else's plates to spin, in other words. Exactly. Gotcha. All right. Let's go ahead and move into something else that's been a uh, hot topic in the past and still remains. And I want you to clear some stuff up for us. Um, and I'm even interested in hearing your thoughts. Ghost Heat was implemented. Now, Ghost Heat, um, the official name, Heat Scale. Um, we call it Ghost Heat because uh, there's really not any it's way. spooky? Of, well, you you have no idea it's even being implemented. Uh, it's it's completely different than all other previous MechWare games. Can you just sort of give your explanation of what the intention was? I mean, I think we can all agree it worked, but what is the intention of uh, Ghost Heat? It was Brian's idea. <laughs> no, okay. Sorry, Brian. You're screwed. When it comes to uh, heat scale, or as is affectionately known as ghost heat, um, that was me. Uh, the reason why... Well, let's go back to the original problem. The original problem is that we had a problem with high alpha... Sorry, high damage alphas. And that's not just MechWarrior Online. That includes MechWarrior 4, 3, 2... Basically, anything related to MechWarrior, even uh, Battletech itself, was that they, it became a point where people were focusing more along the lines of just punching a hole through a mech, doing whatever it takes to just 
obliterate the mech in as short amount of time as possible. And that's one thing that we did not want to just carry over into MechWarrior Online as just, well, that's just the state of the game, deal with it. Uh, the reason why we came up with heat scale was that it basically stops that high alpha damage, right? And I'm not talking about the fact that it's pinpoint. I'm not talking about people are boating mechs. I'm not talking about weapons just being out of whack. I'm just talking about a high amount of damage being fired out of a mech at one time. And this is where heat scale actually stops that process. And I've even heard the suggestions from the community about lowering the heat cap and increasing heat dissipation. I appreciate what that does, but at the same time, it does not stop this high alpha damage. What it does do is spreads that out. You'll hit your heat cap, you'll shut down, yes. At 30, yes. But at the same time, you'll be able to cool down and fire that same thing again. Whereas with heat scale, what it's doing is saying that, okay, if you do that high alpha, you're going to overheat, but you're also going to die doing it, right? And that's what basically curtails those builds. It curtails that whole idea of gameplay of just trying to punch a hole through a mech. Now, it just comes down to a matter of balancing out whether or not we think, like, for example, a 35 damage alpha strike. Is that too much or is that too little? Um, what if we nerf weapons down to, like, 20 alpha damage? Is that going to be too much? Is that going to be too little? It just becomes, like, kind of spitballing at what we feel it should be. The thing about a 30 to 35 damage alpha is that yes lights are still getting hit really hard yes mechs that don't have a lot of centered torso arm armor are going to take a lot of damage but the person firing that shot is going to be jumping through hoops to pull that shot off right and that becomes a skill shot and that's something that we're actually fine with so basically heat scale is doing exactly what we wanted to do is there room for balancing that Yes and no. It's not going to be drastic changes to it, but we can play with small changes within certain weapon systems or just reevaluate what weapon systems are being combined with other weapon systems. But right now, it's playing out fairly close, like I said before. It, it's playing out very well, actually. So, well, like Phil yeah. said, I think overall, uh, most people agree that it works. And probably the biggest gripe is just in understanding it. Um, now, obviously, with UI 2.0, you added some, you know, in Mech Lab little messages, you know, warnings, essentially letting you know that um, you're implementing something that's that's going to increase your heat significantly. Um, what, if anything, might you be doing to increase players' awareness or, or teaching them about um, the, the heat system? Is there anything that can make that uh, more understandable, better for new users, etc.? Well, I can see it benefiting from a little bit more user feedback, especially in-game when the actual uh, alpha occurs or when the actual heat scale kicks in. So if I do fire that seventh medium laser, um, I get a notification saying that heat scale has kicked in. I'm not sure if we'll go to the level of saying exactly how much heat has been uh, generated from the heat scale, but it might be just some sort of indicator so that you... When you do fire it, you see the indicator pop up, you go back to the front end and you check why is this kicking in and that's where the warning uh, widget comes into play. And the player can take steps from that point on to just reduce the um, number of connections that will generate the heat. There is still a little bit of disconnect between uh, the weapon groups, for example. When I have, for example, seven medium lasers equipped to my mech, 
just because it has seven, the warning widget's already telling you that firing more than six is going to cause a problem. But at the same time, something in-game should probably tell you that as well. It's just a matter of coming up with a good way of um, displaying that kind of information. Right now, we do not have the resources to investigate that, but at the same time, it's something that we do have on the design plans, but we just haven't, like I said, had the time to address it. Plates spinning um, everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the front-end team, like right now, is heavily, heavily involved with the uh, launch module. Their next thing right out of the gate when they finish that is the clan implementation because clan mechs are built a different way than InnerSphere mechs, and they have to redo a lot of logic on some of the uh, mech lab screens. So they're kind of tied up. Well, I can say that uh, Phil and I will be doing our part to help out a little bit. We are redoing uh, a lot of the tutorial videos for the official MechWare Online uh, YouTube page, and we'll include you know specifics diving into weapons, and and we'll cover the the heat scale uh, issue as well. Let me chime in. Obviously, when it comes to uh, Ghost Heat, the one thing I do want to point out is even though it may not convey very well to new players, um, everyone who's a vet has gotten used to it. They understand which weapon systems can be combined. And that's another thing is obviously the presentation of, like, you can do autocannons with, you know, medium lasers, and it doesn't cross over that. It's not going to bump up the heat just because you fired those weapons in conjunction with each other. Um, and then on top of that, I think, you know, it still allows... I mean, you can still fire nine medium lasers on the Hunchback 4P. Now, your heat's going to spike dramatically, right? And you're not able to do that two times in a row without shutting down, Right. But it still allows you to do it. And so an experienced player will ride that line and know when to, to you know, push it. And I think you hit on a key thing, Paul, is when you said it's combinations of weapons when you have possibly heat-neutral uh, weapons combined with a few heat weapons, but they can still do a lot of, uh, you know, damage. So, you know, I think a lot of people out there... Um, you know, would like to see maybe slight adjustments here or there on particular, you know, few weapon systems, <clears throat> you know, but uh, overall, I think, you know, it works. And uh, when you look at MechWare 4, MechWare 3, well, considering MechWare 3 and, and 2 are based off the tabletop rules, if you will, uh, where you could, yeah, there, there was no balance. I, you know, I remember someone was, uh, Jaeger 12 was streaming uh, MechWare 4 a few months ago, and he was just like, oh my God, this is horrible. And it's like, yeah, you know. So, Well, the thing about the new player experience, too, is that a new player isn't going to sit there looking at the numbers, right? A new player is going to come in, and they're going to launch into a game as soon as they can. And if they happen to fire off a heat scale, heat penalty uh, weapon group, they're going to learn from that point on. It's like, wow, that shot me up, and I overheated, and I shut down. Why is that happening? Right? And then back to the front end, warning widget. Now, it's not opening in your face clear but at the same time there is a little bit of a learning curve there there's a little bit of learning experience players will adapt to it right and for example even with some of the lrm changes recently like i said in one of the command share posts or just the balance in the post was that new players adapted much more quickly to these kinds of changes or this kind of i don't know anomaly than uh, experienced players will right they're not and set in their ways Exactly. So the new player experience, yeah, I'll come in, I'll throw three PPCs on my favorite Mac, and I'll walk out and I'll fire them, and then bang, I shut down and I almost die. Right? It's like, okay, I'm not going to do that again, but what was the cause? There's two recourses. There's going to the forums, asking a question. There's going to the um, warning widget, 
it'll tell you why. But like I said, there's still room for even more information on Spruden, so we'll look into that in the future. All right, moving on to the next topic, and this is specifically to weapons in general. Let's go ahead and move on to what just happened this Tuesday. You made some uh, changes to autocannons, uh, AC5s and UAC5s, which I think everyone saw that coming and needed to happen. Um, and uh, But there was one thing that surprised a lot of people, including myself, autocannon 2 changes. What were the changes? Well, we know what the changes were, but... We want to hear it again. Reiterate. You know, why why were they made? Can you explain some of that? So first step when we were looking at the autocannons was the uh, feedback, obviously, from the meta build, from the meta game, from the competitive players, from even just casual players were starting to notice this, is that the autocannon fives were just pumping out way too much damage. And we started looking at the base DPS of each of the weapon systems, and we saw that the AC-5 was generating close to what the AC-10 was generating. So what we did was that we started scaling back and basically trying to normalize. So the Autocannon 20 does 5 DPS, the Autocannon 10 does 4 DPS, the Autocannon 5 does 3 DPS, and what should have happened was the AC-2 goes to 2 DPS. But at the same time, the AC-2 at 2 DPS is just not as viable as any of the other weapon systems because of its tonnage. And what we've decided to do was, okay, we'll just keep the AC-2 at 3 DPS, so it's the same as the AC-5. But what we're going to do is reduce the extreme range. Now, this isn't the maximum range. Like, the maximum range for an AC-2 is still further than an um, AC-5. What I'm talking about is the fall-off damage distance, which goes from, I think it's set to 760, I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, it was pushing out to 2160, I believe. And even at 21, oh, sorry, 2160 meters, you are shooting at a speck on the horizon. And the chances of hitting are almost negligible. Sure, you're going to pull off the odd, like, lucky shot, but it's not something that you can reliably count on. So what we did was just say, okay, you know what, that range is just ridiculous. So what we started to do is pull it in, pull it in, and because of the fact that the AC-2 is still doing the same amount of DPS as the AC-5, we thought, you know what, the AC-5 still has to have its place, but the AC-2 needs to have its place in terms of just rate of fire. So in order to leave those two situations in place, we had to pull back the distance, right? You want to be able to make the AC-5 viable. We don't want the AC-2 to become the next meta weapon. So we just basically normalized the AC-2, brought its DPS back into line with the AC-5, and to not really nerf it, but to just keep it in line, we just brought the maximum distance in, right? And that's still out to 1,440 meters, so you're still outranging a LRM missile, right? And still maintaining that 3 DPS. Now, with all that being said, uh, you know, no heat changes were made. I mean, AC-2s are the, um, would say, especially if you're chain, you know, firing more than one, uh, your heat well, goes up quite a bit. Yep, but the thing is that because of the DPS change, like, the DPS for the AC-2 was almost 4. Like, it was at 3.98 DPS, and that would have put it at the same DPS as the AC-5, which is, sorry, the AC-10, which is kind of ridiculous. So what we did, we scaled that back, and to scale that back, we played with the cooldown. Now, it takes more time to fire between shots of the AC-2. The natural effect of that is the cooldown is happening a lot quicker, and the amount of heat that you're generating 
is reduced slightly, right? So it kind of balances it itself out there. Well, I mean, but if you're looking, um, obviously, I'm just trying to pick your brain about this. If you're looking at, if you have one AC2 and you have an AC5 or 10 or even 20, just one, and you're firing at your target, I mean, the AC2s beforehand might have been for, you know, DPS. But what we were talking about is if you shoot one round uh, and you hit with AC10 or, you know, 20 or even the five, you're doing more actual damage. Uh, and if the more rounds you can pump through the AC2, you're having to put those on a location and hold that on, you know, whereas they see, I mean, it just delivers all that into one, you know, volley. I mean, right. But at the same time, you're not going to get like total synergy. And I hate to use that buzzword, but you're not going to get synergy between all of the weapon systems, right? Some are going to play a better part in a specific type of gameplay. And it's not meant that every single auto cannon is like ideal for every type of gameplay. And the AC2 has this niche role of being a pestering weapon from a long range. And basically, that that's what its basic role is. Suppression just, fire a lot of times, Suppression too. fire, just making people freak out, thinking, I'm getting hit with some sort of autocannon. I got to take cover. And that's what it's still capable of doing. No, um, even close range, man. Someone opens up close range to you. <laughs> especially if they're hitting you know, your cockpit. It's like, oh, shit. You know? yeah. I mean, yeah, it just... One thing that was brought up, though, was, for example, firing that one autocannon, just standard, holding the fire button down, would start generating a lot more heat, and it's almost kicking in heat scale on itself, and then that's actually the case. And that was because of the fire rate being so close to the, um, the chain fire delay, which is, like, the chain fire delay is what sets apart uh, whether or not to kick in heat scale or not, so it's that half-second delay. The autocannon was firing so close to that uh, delay period is that the game was actually saying, you know what, that's way too close, and it started generating heat scale. Now, you might be wondering why we didn't crank that back. Well, at the same time, we wanted to make sure that the AC2 was doing significant damage, but at the same time, uh, the heat scale system wasn't um, allowing us to just say, okay, you know what, let's just turn you off for these X number of shots and then let you kick in. It started to actually balance it itself out a little bit because if you have like multiple ACTs, for example, four ACTs firing in chain fire, you're spitting out a lot of damage in one second, right? So it is almost worth having that extra heat being kicked off just to keep that weapon in check. If we increase the delay from the AC2 up to say 0.6 of a second, so that's a little bit uh, slower than the chain fire switching then you're going to allow this four DPS weapon firing at half, uh, sorry, 0.6 second intervals nonstop without a heat penalty, right? And that would just basically throw the damage of a four uh, AC2 mech just through the roof and not generating a lot of heat. So we left it for as it is until just recently where we started raining in the DPS on the AC2. Um, we're looking at, and I'll be monitoring what's going on with the heat scale in terms of the AC2. So we will be looking into it. I'm not sure what kind of changes will come of it, but it's being monitored. Like it's being watched very closely as to its performance, the heat generation, whether or not heat scale should be kicking in at certain levels. And yeah, we'll update as soon as I find a good number for those. Gotcha. Got to collect the analytics. So in regards to, you know, weapon balancing in general, um, you know, I mean, we're seeing a lot less 
you know, obviously as we move away from, you know, the closed beta, there's not as much weapon balancing going on. You're starting to, you know, hone it. Are there any changes that you guys have made or are going to make because of implementation of the clan weapons? I mean, has anything... Uh, or even talk weapon that? systems that are on the horizon, you know, even new inner sphere weapons. Like, it, are you making changes that we may not understand why you're making the changes, but it's because of stuff that's coming out in six months or a year or whatever? Well, there's going to be a few changes in terms of new weaponry, but that's mostly on the clan side. Um, there's going to be some changes, and I am going to document this and get this out to the public as soon as possible, but there's going to be some changes in the clan weaponry systems that are related to Inner Sphere, but I'm going to keep them locked to the clan side just because of the fact that I have to work with systems and balancing factors that can keep the clans in check. Right, because we've already told you guys that we're going to rein in the clan technology as much as we can. Uh, but at the same time, I want to make sure that they keep some of the quirks. There's some of the things that we can't really play with, like the tonnage and the crit slot requirements. Um, those things we can't really play with, because if we do, we start breaking clan default builds. Right, And once we do that, then it's going to become just a nightmare making a clan mech. So there's going to be some changes coming down the pipe. I can talk about the clan stuff in a bit, but just to say, right now, the major sweeping changes that uh, have been going on with some of the weapon systems, those are coming to an end, and it's micro-changing from this point on, right? So it's like, not, a, not a single weapon out there is set to 100% perfect, but it's close, and it's just a matter of just finding those sweet numbers that will just make them fall into their slots perfectly. Gotcha. You know, when it, in regards to the only other weapon I can really think of is, you know, SRMs, HSR, still not 100%, you know, reliable. And that's actually, uh, it was implemented at least the first part Tuesday. And then on the 29th is another part. And, you know, apparently it's it's supposed to be a game changer. And that's the only thing I can see that might have to be adjusted. Because, you know, hey, they're fine. They're hitting. They're okay. Really, they're not doing as much damage, but they are hitting. Uh, we may have to change them. Is that is that correct? Well, yep, and the 29th is going to be a significant and noticeable change. Um, I'll let you in on some insider information, is that everybody's favorite programmer, Brian Buckton, actually found another issue in code that might significantly increase their performance as well. And we're looking at uh, what that change is. We've tested it. It seems like like it's almost night and day in terms of its hit detection, but at the same time is that we've got to make sure that we don't put this kind of a fix in and leave the damage of the SRMs at where they're at right now because that's just going to make them like mm. stupidly overpowered. Splat So we're going to have to be look at balancing the damage numbers before we even put that fix into the live build. So gotcha. I'm not we'll sure go if it'll be on the 29th, but it'll be sometime near in the near future. And well, yes, you can all pack Mr. Buckton on the back. Well, I was oh, going to yeah. say, I mean, the game really uh, has suffered from not having SRMs on the field, man. I mean, and, you know, so many mechs have been introduced, uh, especially in the medium bracket. I mean, all those mediums can carry SRMs or have the ability with all the missile slots. They want to. But they're just not reliable, so they stuck to Streak 2s or LRMs. And up until LRMs didn't get buffed, you really didn't see them at all. Now LRMs you can actually take. And I'm really excited. I know the entire community is excited because once SRMs are actual reliable, you know, when you shoot them, they hit, they do damage. Well, we're already seeing Splat Cats. I'm seeing Splat Cats again. Yeah. And often. It's, it's 
testing mainly. Um, mm -hmm. I was doing that as well, and I, I found they were doing damage, more damage than normal. The you know, and where the explosion effect and stuff was happening, but they still Needs weren't more. reliable. Yes, I mean, yep. you know, there was times I was just like, oh man, really? Like, <laughs> well, there's some other things that were on the SRM like plate, and that things like the SRM seemed to be doing damage in places where it wasn't hitting, or it was doing damage on the back instead of the front where it was taking damage or being hit. And that's something that's coming in on the 29th, right? Which, well, it's a fix that addresses that issue. Uh, the thing that Buckton found was more along the lines of what's causing this kind of a desync where missiles just did not hit, right? And he's got it, so they're hitting I would guess around 80 to 90% of the time right now, right? If not 100%, like I just can't tell this naked eye looking at it. But when I bring up the de debugging tool, when he brings it into my special branch, then I'll be able to tell if it's hitting, like if all the registrations are perfect or not. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, let's move on to the next topic because this is actually something that all of us Battletech fans... Near and dear. Yeah, and especially me, I, you know, I went by a, an alias that you know, fail on Kel for years. Um, yeah, that was me for all of you guys out there. Um, the clan introduction, you know, obviously this is a huge thing in the lore. How does this affect your job in particular, the clan introduction? Well, let's see. When it comes to the actual clan technology, of course, it hits my job directly. Um, when it comes to the initiatives of launching the clans or uh, marketing the clans, that is not really my territory. Again, it touches on what I mentioned before, is that I can give opinions and I can give ideas, but I just filtered that all through Matt. So uh, himself and IGP can come up with a plan for marketing. And, and you're uh, referring to the, the introduction that happened of the clan packages, I'm assuming, because I, uh, yeah. I was let down. And I said that on the NGHG podcast. I was, for how big and awesome and epic it was. Well, that's one thing I can kind of sympathize with you and everybody who's part of the lore and well just loves the lore of the clans like i understand that the clan invasion is the biggest thing that happens on the battletech timeline and it's something that's emotionally driven it it's what drives that i don't know separation between the inner sphere and the clans and why everybody's so passionate about one side or the other and it's great for the overall playing scene too right and it it was kind of a, I don't know, mixed message that we sent out there, right? We are take, trying to take steps to correct that. But at the same time, like, I was kind of <laughs> let in on the whole clan package release a little bit late as well, right? So it, there wasn't a lot of time for us to react, right? But having said that, it's been done. Uh, we're taking steps to correct it. And I am trying to influence some of the marketing, but at the same time, it's up to them to decide whether or not to go with what I suggest or even just some of the ideas that I come up with that can well, be sometimes crazy. Getting back to your particular duties and, and your responsibilities, um, how do the clans affect you know, your overall balancing of the game? You know, what's, what's changed since you brought the clans into the picture? What's changing now? Um, how are they having effect on your job? How are you stopping them from being oh my god OP all the time and you know fixing that imbalance? Well, the first step that I did is I took the range of all the weapons and reduced them by one tenth. So they'll be shooting at a max range of forty meters. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
No, actually, some of the things, okay, I'm going to let some stuff out of the bag here, is that things like the auto cannons for clans are going to be shooting in bursts. That does not mean an auto cannon 20 fires a five round burst of 20 damage. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a auto cannon 20, for example, just throwing out just some ideas here, is that it'll shoot a five round burst with every round doing four damage. Now, what that's going to do is allow the AC-20, the clan AC-20, to have its um, extended range, to have its lighter capacity, its less crit space. And at the same time, without it just being purely overpowered, it is now doing damage over time. And it's doing spread damage. So shooting an AC-20 at a moving target that's moving fairly quickly, you're going to be spreading damage all over the thing. If not, you're going to be missing like three out of three out of the five rounds. Now, can I clarify? You're talking about the Ultra Auto Cannon Clan 20s, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and the same thing happens with all the other auto cannons. Is that they start getting bursts? There'll be varying numbers of shells being fired at one time, and there'll be a varying amount of cooldown. But at the same time, it is all going to become like this damage over time type uh, weapon. So the standard ACs, standard clan ACs, do they have those? Are going to be the same yes, as Intersphere? Yes. Yeah. Okay, but the UACs are the ones that are going to be burst fire. And do they oh, jam? This, yes, they will. Right, if you use the ultra version of the cannon, right, there will be that chance of jamming. Yeah, I mean the clans do have like I like clan large laser. They are, you know, in there. There are some mechs that they, you know, retrofit. But yeah, we we can. Well, just okay. for the auto cannons itself, right? Yeah, no UAC twenties. They only use UACs and LBX. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, now on to laser systems. Now laser systems, like for example. I implore all of you to take a look at what the tabletop values of the ER Large Laser and the, uh, sorry, Clan ER Large Laser and the Inner Sphere ER Large Laser. Look at those values, right? It's just ridiculous how overpowered that weapon is. And while I said before is that I cannot play with tonnage and I can't play with space, at the same time, there are other things I can play with. And one of the things I'm looking at is the duration of the beam. Now, again, that means you're going to have to hold that laser on target for a longer period of time, but you will do more damage, and you do have a lighter, cheaper, you have uh, it's uh, less crit space, it generates less heat, right? And that trade-off is the duration that you're going to have to hold that laser on, right? And that can apply for both standard lasers and uh, pulse lasers. Uh, when it comes to missiles... One of the things I've been playing with, and one of our engineers, Omid, uh, some of you might know, um, got the LRMs firing in sequence instead of just as one giant clump. And they fire very quickly in sequence. I have the ability to time and tune how fast they fire out. But it's a very cool effect. But it means that clan LRMs are going to start streak firing. Basically, sorry, not streak firing, stream firing. And that's going to allow the AMS uh, systems to actually be a little bit more effective against them. But at the same time, they are taking care of this overpowered feature of the clan LRM-20. Uh, we all know that clan LRMs do not have a minimum, uh, minimum range. What we are going to address are things like possibly ramping up the amount of damage that an LRM does between 0 and 180 meters. So at zero meters, you fire your clan LRMs, you're still going to do zero damage. But if you go up to like 160 meters and fire your LRMs, you will do damage. 
and you're probably going to be doing probably around 75, 80% of the damage, right? And it's just, it'll just be a matter of figuring out what the right curve is to fit between 0 and 180. Now, my question is, uh, you're talking about LRMs. Um, can you talk about any new weapon systems? Because, you know, clans do bring in Streak 6s, Streak 4s. They also bring in, um, on some builds, uh, I don't know if you guys are planning on this, but ATMs. Those are some of the big ones, and then heavy lasers, stuff like that. Are any of those going to be introduced, or can you talk about any of them? Uh, the ATMs is something that we are still looking at if we should bring them in or not. There are some other technologies that we are still debating whether or not we should bring them over at all. Um, that's something I'll let Dave Bradley touch on in another uh, command chair before we release plan. But I'm not at a state where I can comment on that because that's more Dave's area. Um, I'm focusing mainly on the weapons. Uh, one of the weapons that I am looking at now, it's going to be kind of problematic. I still have to get the engineers to figure out how to do it. Is the LBX version of clan, uh, clan LBX uh, weapons. Now, in lore, both the inner sphere and clans have the ability to switch ammo types from slug to cluster. And what we're looking at right now, and what I'm trying to impose, is to make sure that only clans will have that switching technology. The reason is, is that I do not want the Inner Sphere LBX to make the Autocannon 10 obsolete, right? If I allow slugs to be fired from an LBX 10, it's lighter, it fires faster, and it takes up less space. Or no one will use AC-10s. Yeah, exactly. It negates an entire weapon system, right? Now, I know that's not going to be popular with some of the Inner Sphere people, but at the same time, it's helping me balance that kind of drive towards if I want to have that switching capability, I have to play as a clan player. If I want to have just non-stop, just punching 10 damage, punching 10 damage, right? I will stay on the inner sphere. And it's just a matter of like how people are going to perceive how powerful are the clan mechs. Yes, the clan mechs now have the ability to have their LBXs switch between a slug and a cluster round. That's something that is special to the clans. That is something that will drive people to play clans, right? It's something that adds a little bit of coolness factor to the clan uh, weaponry uh, without it just being straight up overpowered. There's going to be other nerfs that are going to pull in the other clan weaponry, so it's going to become kind of like this trade-off between what's cool, what's not so cool, what's going to be balanced, what's going to be overpowered, or well, sorry, let's go both say underpowered, but we won't try to unpower weapons um but it's just a global balancing of player perspective player play space in both the inner sphere and the clan in regards to design um this is actually sort of goes back to our ghost heat discussion earlier is ghost heat for clan mechs going to be slightly different or is it going to be uh the same do you know about that yet uh, i'm guessing right off the bat it's going to be the same but at the same time, we're going to be watching exactly what happens on day one of the clan launch, and we'll make changes from there if needed. The only reason I ask is I'm thinking of the uh, Warhawk Prime, you know, four PPCs, uh, you know. So I was just uh, wondering how that's going to play out. But we also have the fact that these also have clan double heat sinks. The uh, efficiency of them are probably pretty staggering uh, compared to uh, the IS yep. as well. Uh, yep, but once again, I will let Dave touch on that. Right, because when it comes to actually anything mechanical in a mech, that is uh, Dave running up with a design on that. I basically put weapons onto those things and just make sure things just don't break. 
I just want to run around in my Timberwolf and my Stormcrow. Is that too much to ask? I already am. <laughs> I know. I know. Russ was rubbing that in, uh, what was that, like two, three weeks ago? Really? Thanks, Russ. Appreciate that. Before we move on to our uh, last topic, I do want to just mention real quick, anybody wants to know, ATMs, they're not tactical um, cash machines or anything like that. Those are advanced tactical missiles. There's a lot about them. Um, they can change ammo types, etc. Just go to Sarna.net if you want to read up on what an ATM is. Yeah, they're basically uh, a shorter range version, uh, like an LRM, and they there's three, six, nine, and twelve as far as missiles, um, and then different ammo and stuff. But they're shorter range than uh, LRMs in general. All right, so community warfare, a lot of discussion going on. Um, how's development coming overall? Can you share some of that? Well, community warfare, yeah, that's a little bit of a touchy topic, just because of the fact that it's been so long since we said we're bringing it out, and I fully understand the. I don't know, the doubt that's following up with it. You lied but to us, I... Paul. You lied. <laughs> you. Well, I personally did not. It was... No. <laughs> <laughs> Who said the dates? Who said the dates? I think we were talking about that. Brian. I don't know. I wasn't standing on Brian. anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, right? <laughs> but at the same time, I can guarantee you that Community Warfare is fully like going through design lockdown. One of the things that I had to make sure was happening was that everybody who plays MechWarrior Online will have a role in uh, Community Warfare or how the Inner Sphere is being affected. This is something that wasn't in Brian's uh, original uh, presentation at the launch event, but this is something that I was just basically harping to Russ and Brian about, saying we want to make it so that everybody plays a role and the fact the act of taking over a planet is something epic and everybody has a chance to take part in and this is something that both russ and brian are agreeing with and we're walking through the step-by-step process of what the experience of each type of players is going to be um the reason why i want to do this is because if we rush the design on this we're going to run into loopholes during uh development when that happens, things start being designed on the fly. When things start getting designed on the fly, that's when you start seeing things just kind of acting weird, not behaving correctly, or we have to make some sort of limitation or some sort of restriction that just makes the game not fun, right? And I'm trying to make sure that all of this stuff is covered before we go into development, and when we do get run into something in development, it's something minor that we can change without affecting the overall scope and plan and feel of what we want as community warfare. That being said, is that we've, I'm also starting a new process here, which is involving the engineering team in this design vetting process, which gets a lot more buy-in. When I have good buy-in from the development team, I get features online a lot faster. Can you right. explain buy-in? What, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, basically, instead of us just throwing a design at an engineer saying, here, do this, and that's it. We also have the engineers looking at what, how we're solving this problem design-wise and they can pitch in how you can solve a problem from a tech side as well. So it's not just us telling the engineers, this is how you should make this feature, and I don't know how to code, but you just code it so it does exactly this. We have engineer buy-in earlier on where they sit there going, you know what, you guys can also add to this feature by doing this, and I can make sure that the engineering side has this covered and planned before we go into development. Which sounds, us. sounds very uh, efficient compared to anything else. Well, it gives us gets us a lot more, I don't know, a lot more juices flowing when we're doing the design process. And it also makes sure that we're not trying to scope things that are just like out of the ordinary. 
Gotcha. Now, a big critique um, as far as community warfare has that design's been going on forever. I mean, you know, it was one of you know the selling points, obviously, early on, founders packages, stuff like that. Um, that's actually been one of the, the biggest critiques I've heard in the community has been, you know, hey, what the heck? And then, you know, of course, people are saying, why is it still being designed? And why is it not being coded yet? I mean, you know, can you touch on that? Well, I can tell you this. We have a small team. And when we have large features like UI 2.0, like the launch module, like uh, clan technology drop-in, it's all hands on deck for those um, key features. Now, when I say all hands on deck, I'm talking about the UI team. I'm talking about the back-end engineering team. The art team, yes, they're still busy working away, building mechs, building new content for the game. But when it comes to these core features, all the bottlenecks are coming from the UI side and the engineering side. And it's not a bottleneck in a bad way. It's a bottleneck in terms of just that everybody in those uh, disciplines are 100% focused on getting those uh, features in. Now, there was a reorder in terms of priority as to which systems we wanted to bring online, and that was kind of dictated by these dates that were given to you guys. At the same time, we had to address the fact that our entire team had to switch to those new priorities. So community warfare kind of fell off the, um, not, not off radar, but it fell off the direct path of development. Right, because we wanted to get that new UI out. The UI is what drives the ability to have Community of Warfare. The UI drives the ability to have the launch module. Right, So the UI was the logical first thing to put into place. So that's where UI 2.0 took up all these resources, but it was the first thing to come out. The next thing to come out is the launch module. We've had like just non-stop feedback from both the competitive crowds and players in general about the experiences that they're having in-game. So that includes like odd tonnage uh, balancing, the way the matchmaker was handling things, the fact that uh, 12 player groups cannot choose who they're playing against so they could run their tournaments or they could run a competitive league. We wanted to address that as soon as possible. That's why launch module went in next. The third thing is the clan release, right? Um, that clan release in a decision was made by both IGP and the senior management here at PGI and it went forward and it got slotted in before clan uh, community warfare. Community warfare to be fair is a lot bigger um, feature to get into the game than clans are. Clans because of that we wanted to get the clans out there we wanted people to start running around in their mad cats or in their uh, favorite clan mechs. Timberwolf Yep. Sorry, but at the same time, we wanted to make sure that Community Warfare had a very solid design. It had a very solid technical backing, and then we could run, move forward with it. Now, the amount of time that it would take to get clans into the game is, like, let's say, for example, three months. Right? I mean, yes, we're getting them ready for June 17th. That amount of time is where you're not going to see a lot of new content coming out. Right, because everybody's all hands on deck. Now, if we were to have Community Warfare in there before clans, you would not see clans for a very long time because Community Warfare is going to be a lot longer development time than it is for clans. And during that time, you would see no new content. Right, So it would make sense to get clans out first, get new, new content flowing into the community, and then get this giant thing called Community Warfare 
into the game as our basically last pillar to get into our game. So there you have. No, I'm joking. <laughs> All right. Um, one thing I want to touch on is you know you mentioned private matches and being able to uh, you know drop against who you want to. Um, we've talked a lot to the competitive scene and, and reached out and um, I've kept my ear down and that is probably the biggest gripe they've had with the game you know since the game you know launch or even you know closed betas that you know some of these guys you know take two and a half three and a half four hours just to get you know one maybe two matches in and so i can say um from everything i've heard is there that's like the number one thing that they're so excited for launch module the second thing um and this involves pretty much everyone as well is the balancing of you know three 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 and i think another key factor here is and i did you have decision in the um the one pre-made per team uh yep that's because just because of the fact that you cannot draw this imaginary line as to how big of a group there is before it impacts a public match right like what, how big of a group you put into a single team with pickup like single players filling up the rest of the team so yes, we could put in a group of five, we could put in a group of six, right? But is that going to be too much of an influence on the outcome of the match? I think so. Right? Uh, so that's why we said, you know what, we're going to stick with the Lance idea. The very first pitch was to have three, but we kind of fought back saying, you know what, Battletech is about the Lance and that's four. So let's leave it at four as your maximum group size for a public match. Well, no, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think it can, if it not being just for the weight class uh, balancing, running into, and the higher ELO you go, the you know more possibility you're going to run into you know groups as well. And when you drop against two and sometimes three four-man pre-mades, and they're all high ELO players, I mean, I have no problem with finding better players. But when you're by yourself as a pug, you know, it is so difficult, and that. I don't really know how you could measure the influence in a match with, uh, you know, four mans. But I remember eight mans back in closed beta. It was just yep. a pug stomp. It was, it was, it wasn't even funny. And even the people doing the pug stomping were like, "Okay, oh, yeah, this is getting old. This isn't even cool." And when you guys did go to four, uh, four man groups, everyone was in agreement. It was a better solution uh, for probably the enjoyment of everyone, especially when you look at your guys' numbers of what eighty four percent are pugs and. Yep. Yeah, I think this April 29th patch is just going to be epic. It's going to be game-changing. And, I mean, I honestly can't wait. I'm so anxious. Like, for Friday night, uh, we do community nights on Friday nights and stream. And we've been doing 12-mans, but it's pretty frustrating, uh, you know, trying to sync up and stuff like that. But all we've been talking about the last uh, few times we played is just, uh, you know, launch module private matches. It's going to be so much fun. You know. Well, I can even see for you guys, just on the entertainment side of things, that you can pick two guys that you just hate or something. <laughs> right. Say, you know what? You two fight out with each other, <laughs> right? And create a one-on-one clan or one-on-one mech match and say, let the best man win. Right. And the, and the good thing is that right now, Phil and I are in the uh, closed alpha of spectating mode, <laughs> so we can actually go in there and watch those matches. Exactly. Right. And you can report on it. You can broadcast it. Heck yeah. So the 29th is bringing a, like a basically a whole new step to MechWarrior Online. So, yeah, looking forward to it. So, you know, Paul, as we wrap up here, is there any, you know, last minute things uh, you'd like to uh, say to the community in a whole out there? Uh... Are, you, are you biting your tongue right now? <laughs> is your tongue bleeding, Paul? Love you long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. 
we get the gist of it. No, I mean, is, is, are there any, 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 yeah, last words? You know what? All I can say is thanks for sticking around. Thanks for sticking it out. I know some of you have been waiting on the sidelines for this launch module and for this, well, not necessarily for the launch module, but for the functionality that it brings. And when it does go live, I hope you guys enjoy it. There's still more improvements coming. There's still more improvements on all sections of the game, plus the upcoming plan and uh, community warfare features. So we're making it there. It's slow going, and there's only one thing we can say is we apologize. We have a small team, but at the same time, this team is passionate and pushing stuff out as fast as we can. All right, guys, there you have it. Thank you again, Paul, for uh, taking the time out of your day and getting that information out there. And I think it's a... It's a it's a topic and discussion um, that a lot of people are going to want to listen to because, uh, you know, we don't get enough one-on-one with you specifically, and, and we know you are busy, literally. Guys, we asked him last week, hey, Paul, the week before, hey, Paul, you know, podcast, hey, you know, and he's just like, dudes, I can't, sorry, just totally swamped. So thank you again for taking the time. And Totally uh, appreciate it, man. No problem. I just thought it'd be a great opportunity to get some word out to the people in terms of, like, what's actually happening on this side of the fence. So, yeah. No, thanks to you guys for being our conduit for that. All right, guys. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Again, don't forget our Amazon affiliate link on our website. It adds nothing to your cost if you're shopping there, but does kick back a small percentage to NGNG when you do order through it. So if you can utilize that, that'd be awesome. And, of course, don't forget our T-shirt. We are restocking them right now. We've got uh, T-shirts uh, uh, on our website that were uh, already up as far as on our store. And, Stay tuned for more votes as far as you guys get to pick which designs get go to print first. So well, and you can pre-order, right? Yes, right now you can pre-order the Battlemaster, the uh, the grid shirt, which uh, sort of won by a landslide. It's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. I'll be uh, rocking out mine, and we've got uh, more possible. Well, actually, we do have more coming. Uh, we're going to be testing out a few uh, designs with uh, two colors and uh, possibly three as well. So uh, stay tuned for those. But uh, anyways, a big thank you to our community, our listeners, new and old. You guys are amazing. And of course, our amazing staff and our sponsors. If you'd like to become a sponsor and help support stuff like this TeamSpeak 3 server and our server cost, head over to our website and check out the sponsors uh, tab. This was your local No Guts, No Galaxy MechWare podcast signing off for tonight. This is Phil. This is Darren. Until next time, Mech Warriors.
let's get out of here. Feel your pain for the drinks, right? <laughs>